Take a drink and then get into character and have a giggle before kinda, I was kinda... before I was like, let's amp ourselves into this into this zone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, and as soon as you get into Nickelback, you know you're ready to go. I just immediately started that's, laughing. Yeah, that's... it's it's just like it's it's hard to talk about this show sometimes because it really is like work. Mm-hmm. But then there are times where like I have no problem talking about it. Like someone, someone brought it up like the other day and I was just like, oh yeah, like I, ha- I have a podcast <laughs> and they were just like, what's it about? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, stupid shit <laughs> um, so that I'm, I work very hard to put together. Yeah. So I've been talking to my, my partner at work, um, and I've been like, you know, I'm doing this, this podcast cause you know, we always, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, this and that, yada, yada, yada. And we were just talking about, yeah, you did a thing, didn't you? And I was like, no, it's tonight. And he was like, so what is that? And I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, sit down. <laughs> like, All right, you want to know? What, uh-huh. what, what I would do if I were you is just say nothing more. And send them episode uh, mm-hmm. uh, six- fun guys. Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah. What what is that? Is that sixty two? I think it's yeah. sixty two. I would just I would be like, I would be like, say no more, fam, and literally DM Odd Kids episode. <laughs> yeah, I I have a hard time sending people I work with that episode. <laughs> That's a good one. It is a good one. It's a really good one. It's almost too good. I don't want them to know about it. That's fair. Um, I I was asked by Mark Rooster the other week. Um, he was driving to see his family in another state, and he asked if uh, I could give, give him some recommendations because he had like a 10-hour drive ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to singulars, I throw, I throw odd kids in there. Yeah. And I kind of gave him like a brief... Run down. I threw like uh, one series at him. I threw the left right game series at him because it's my favorite thing I think I've recorded on this show. And then I threw a bunch of singular episodes and I threw uh, Mayhem Mountain and Odd Kids at him. And Cut. I said, I said, Mayhem Mountain is a Final Destination bullshit. Yeah. Final Destination 3 bullshit. And then I threw Odd Kids at him and I said, Bridge to Terabithia, but bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But spooky, <laughs> bridge to Terabithia, except all my all my spooks and the bugs. I did like the one we recorded uh, at Disney, which I think was a two parter. Yeah, we recorded yeah. we recorded Disney stories at Disney. Yeah, that was a good time. We had a good crew there. That was it. Big boys. Yeah, big boys. Make big noise. <laughs> big noise. We should do another big boy that'll, breakfast. That'll happen. Well, I mean, we can't anymore. <laughs> big boy moved to Boston. <laughs> yeah. Guess big boys are going to Boston. <laughs> I guess big boys will record live from Boston at some point. Uh, I know I know. Punxsutawney Trill is 100% down yeah. to go to Boston. I already talked to him about it yeah. when we were in Mexico. 
So. Oh, I didn't realize he went to Mexico with you. Yeah. Okay. I took okay. I took, Frowns and I took Punxsutawney Trill. Nice. I was there with my girlfriend. Frowns was there with his fiance, and it mm. was just like. I want where am I there out of nature, out of the big boys' nature. Yeah. Because plus Frowns' fiance, we were already four big boys strong. Mm hmm. But we could always use yeah, one just, more. Yeah, just pack the big boys in. We could use one more, you know. How many big boys fit in the van? Well, that's why we got a limo. <laughs> <laughs> because we couldn't fit that many big boys in the van. Yeah. That's that's a true story. We got a limo because I knew we couldn't fit all those boys in one car. <laughs> oh, shit. But anyway, um, this, is, uh, this is the end of another series. Yeah. We've done a couple series, you and I. Yeah. I think you we, know, I, I, some of them have been good. Yeah. I feel like I don't record as much as I'd like to because we typically do series and then all of a sudden it's just like a big chunk and then a break yeah. and then another big chunk and then a break. Well, I mean, you tell, you tell me when you want to record, man, I'm yeah. like always down for it. I, I, when I reach out to people, it's like work for me. I put up the schedule. I work the schedule yeah. out. I try to time people with things. If you literally just did an entire series, I put you to sleep mm -hmm. because I figured I just got a lot of work out of you. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind. I don't look at this as work. Okay. Uh, I don't mind it. I really enjoy it. I know it. other people do, which I'm, is why I have to put myself yeah. into that position. You think I could get Django whenever I want? No, I can't. Yeah, fair that, enough. That guy's like a was yeah. a lister star <laughs> status. I have to. I have to make an advanced reservations. I mostly forget, uh, and and my work schedule sucks. Well, there you go. Uh, so. Both of those things combined, when we get together, we usually get high and play board games anyway. Uh -huh. So like it's, you know. This is just the backup to, to yeah, a, good, say, a good time. <laughs> usually when we get together, there's anywhere from three to seven of us. Which is non-conducive to yeah. the recording yeah. atmosphere. Um, yeah, I, I we just finished our D&D &D campaign literally yeah. like last month. Mm -hmm. And only, only recent, like... Only recently did I jump back into recording, and it is because I have more free time now. Mm. I also, with with frowns moving, I also stopped the other Tuesday because yeah. there was no point in continuing that with him gone. So, you know, there so will be some other... you never finished mansions. We never finished mansions. Okay. okay. We were three short of the uh, of the 22. And um, I, know, I know we'll get the group back together to finish the last three sometime, but... Yeah, I'm, I was going to say, if I'm you not, want me and my roommate to come... You guys had a good time the last time we were there. Yeah. I'd love to throw you into an action scenario for once instead of fucking <laughs> Scooby-Doo bullshit. Yeah. Even though you helped solve Scooby-Doo bullshit. I yelled a lot. <laughs> if, if by uh, solving shit you mean where am I got drunk and yelled. Called me a bitch a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair because I, I, I definitely am when I play that game. Yeah. Uh. I'm trying to micromanage an entire team of people because yeah. someone's gotta. <laughs> Very true. Being your bitch. Well, that's. I'll be honest. That is definitely one of the things that like I got burnt out on D and D, because I was like, I'm trying to manage you fuckers, and then it got to the point where I was like, nope. I'm just not gonna manage you I'm fuckers. Just not gonna manage. And anyone. then it was like, there's no direction, and I was like, I know, because I don't want to manage I don't you fuckers. <laughs> that's fair. I think. Um, the the only freedom I have managing this show is just deciding 
what we're going to read. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I pose I pose the time frame to you and I pose the subject to you. Mm-hmm. But most of the times when I'm gathering material, I already have yeah. a person in my head. Mm. I'm already like, oh, we're reading a series about a 12-year-old ADHD chick who thinks demons are following her. That's the perfect, perfect. thing to record with Where Am I? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's fucking nuts. <laughs> and I know he'll love that shit. And then it's like, okay, I got anything related to creepy kids and, like, clowns and shit. I'm going to call up my boy Scutch. If I get, like, fucking stories about furries and Harry Potter erotica, I'm going to call Frowns. <laughs> Uh, recently, Skelly Bones has been into Goosebumps, all for it. Yeah. Tenron likes to read those gas station stories. I'm okay with it. I I reach out to Cannibal Siren every once in a while. She's going to be our next series. Uh, and we like to read, like, couples drama, <laughs> where it's like yeah. a couple gets together in a... Um, and we've... It, when I mean couple, I mean we did a, we did a gay couple last time. Sure. And... Um, they, they find themselves in, like, a Twilight Zone scenario. One of them is, like, this couple that goes out to a lake and a monster stalks them. One of them is this couple goes uh, camping and there's a fuck ghost. One of them was this uh, this couple who... Um, one of them was, like, a doppelganger. Um, and that that was the gay one, which which had a really fucking sad ending. Um, but, yeah, like, when I, when I pick up these stories, I almost always have, like, someone in mind. And that's one of the fun things that I do get to manage about this show. Is, like, when I do think of putting my series together, um, my, like, season, quote-unquote, as I call it, um, I kind of, I, I make blocks of what's going to be my series in this ten episodes. Who am I going to get for the other singles to fill in the gaps? Mm-hmm. Or any twofers, where there's two yeah. people on one, and then I do the next ten, and I pick, you know, I, I repeat that process over and over again. And that's always fun, because I'm always trying to find someone new to kind of do a series with. Um, so we'll we'll get you on a, um, we'll get you on a single or a shared yeah. with someone. I, was saying, I always like twofers. Yeah, it's I, just harder for me to manage twofers, because yeah. people... People go get fucking. Distracted. People get fucking nuts on twofers, and I'm I'm literally recording a twofer at the end of this week, and I'm I don't know how to feel about it because strawberry shortcake and Django always team up on me. Yeah, I kind of like invite myself to be bullied when I when I have both of them on That's an episode because they're both just like, oh no, it's fun whatever it is that you want to talk about. We're gonna talk about something else, and you're just gonna record it. Yeah. <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake is P-Funk, right? Correct. Okay, okay. For those of you who who don't know anything about our D&D campaign, one of the characters who, who is Strawberry Shortcake, his name was, what was it? Uh, Feridopolis Funkstratopolis something. Some, he called himself P-Funk. And <laughs> at the very first session, he called someone, him, he yeah, called someone made Terry. a joke about uh, Pterodactyl. And I went, oh, perfect. And I wrote down and Terry. From, and from that and day forward, was always his name Terry was Terry in the notebook. Even when he died and became someone else, yeah. it was Terry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even when he became a dragon, <laughs> it was he Terry. was Dragon Terry. <laughs> it made, I think I'm the one who made the Pterodon joke. And I feel bad <laughs> now that you told me that. It was great. I never. I literally wrote down oh, P Funk zero sc- times. Scribbled it. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, no, that was good. 
let's talk about Lillian. Let's yeah. talk about our little our little angel Lil. So I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> I cheated. Okay. And I what? read the name of not not oh, you, okay. I, just the I name thought, of the chapter. I thought you said like you were going, no, I didn't, you went I didn't, home and read the yeah. rest of it. I said, What the fuck is wrong with you? You, <laughs> no. don't know, you don't know how to read when you're not in the room with I, me. What are you talking about? I don't know how to read when I am in the room with <laughs> you. You know, know what? I'm, out. I'm gonna stop you right there. Uh but because I read you're the title. The truth. <laughs> yeah. And I'm probably gonna do a Batman voice. <laughs> Well, you ended last time, so I'm absolutely taking the first one. Okay, fair enough. But we do switch off of character voices, yeah. so you do that whenever you feel it necessary. <laughs> oh, the cliffhanger of the la- the ending of the last episode. Uh, Mom was in a room. They were in a hospital room yeah. visiting the father. Because Dad was in the trunk. Yeah, of the accident car, of mm-hmm. the broken car. And... Um, when she saw the woman in black standing over her father's bed and said, like, who's that? The mom was like, who's who? Like, what do you mean? There's no one else here in the room with us. Yeah. And bum, 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 bum. Is, is all of this shit in her head? Is Lillian just crazy? Well, I, I sort of said that from the beginning. You I did said, say you know, that like, from the beginning. It we was, don't know that any of this was, is real. I was heavy on was demons and you were heavy on was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I like when was crazy and was demons overlap though, yeah. because that's that's kind of like a spire in the woods was was a bit of was crazy and a bit of was demons. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I've I try not to have expectations because my thing is uh, expectations lead to disappointment mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time. So I'm gonna stick to the was demons. Because yeah. it feels it, it feels, feels plausible. It does. I don't know if it even feels accurate anymore, but it feels plausible. Sure. Because anyone can have an imaginary friend and yeah. like carry around a Ken doll and like talk to it and be like, "You're my angel. I love you. You're my like." And and mm. he could like hear voices and shit. Like I had an imaginary friend as a kid. I don't fucking remember what it was. Could have been a, a fucking giant dildo named Chauncey. I have no fucking clue. And, you know. If, if I were to try and remember any of that shit or put that shit together and ask my parents about it, I'm sure they wouldn't have a fucking clue either. Yeah. So my point is, Lillian uh, could just be fucking uh, stupid. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's the whiskey. <laughs> oh, that one was warm. That's gross, man. <laughs> Sorry. The warm is not the way I like describing it. Well, it's just a burp. It's not the other. (laughs) Oh, it's warm. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So I have two things to interject to the audience before we start reading. All right. (laughs) The first one, and I know they don't know this. Actually, they might know this. I don't remember. I I didn't have shoes the last time we recorded. I do have shoes. Straight up, straight up Hobbit life. Yeah, like walked in barefoot. Walked in barefoot, came down barefoot. Yeah, had work shoes on. I could not find my shoes. And I was like, I'm not wearing work shoes. I didn't have any other shoes. And I said, Well, I'm going shoeless. Today I do have shoes on. So, big improvement there. And right before this, which is actually why I was a little bit late, I was at my dad's house, and me and my dad got fucking loaded. Oh, for real? And by loaded, I mean we put a trailer on the back of my truck and put heavy things inside of it. <laughs> You're fucking so asshole. I'm fucking sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in our studio, folks. Uh, 
like I always say, crammed together lovingly on this yeah. love seat. Yeah. And, um... I don't know that I've ever... I've, I've had a drink with my dad. I don't know that I've ever gotten drunk with See, him. See, when you said loaded, I just immediately imagined your Cocaine. Hulk... Your Hulk... <laughs> no! Oh. <laughs> Say your Hulk of a father just fucking raging, throwing him back. Yeah. Threatening to beat you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Say one wrong word he and the bottle goes... He hasn't done that since I was 17. The bottle goes right over your fucking head. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Captain Death, I'll be a little bit late. <laughs> I gotta get stitches first. So, uh, nah. Uh, I've seen my dad drunk, like, once in my entire fucking life. And I couldn't even, I can't even pinpoint it to you, honestly. I have more times where I remember my mom getting pissed. Sure. But, uh, my my dad hides it well, but my dad hides a lot of things well, you know? He's a very stoic man. Your dad has seen me drunk more times than my dad has seen me drunk. That's probably true. Because yeah. when I'm around your dad, I'm, I'm more in a party and an environment where I'm more willing to do that type of thing. And let it all hang out. Yeah. If my dad's around, it's like three beers. And it's like, well, I don't want to do anything too stupid. Dad's here. Remember when I said last episode that I kind of want Lillian to die at the end of the episode, at the end of the series? Yeah. And it's and it's because I can't imagine her making it to adulthood in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me was thinking to like, what if Lillian just like decided like enough of this, enough of this devil hoo ha, enough of this was demons, uh, dead zone predictions, life I'm gonna lead, I'm gonna be an alcoholic, <laughs> <laughs> and then it solves everything. Yeah, just... and she's just like a boring ass accountant yep. for the rest. Hey, of Hey, as life. long as I drink every night, the voices don't come back. The voices don't come back. What What does that remind me of? America. America. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, um, any anything you want to put forth towards the story or the, uh, the, the war effort? No, I think I've said my piece. Fair enough. I'm, Let's, uh... I've definitely had a lot of caffeine, and I'm, I'm ready for this. All right. I've been, been looking forward well, to this one. you ended the last one, so I said I'm starting this one, so... Yep. Uh, yeah, the, the interesting title, though. Uh-huh. My name is Lily Madwhip, and I have become... Ven- vengeance! <laughs> vengeance. Um. That might have been too loud. <laughs> no, vengeance is good. See, when I think, when I think Batman voice, that's more of a justice. Justice, I need justice, I need... Uh-oh. I mean, because... Oh, no, the new one, yeah, he said, I am vengeance. vengeance. Yeah, that's true. See, when I think of vengeance, and I think of uh, superheroes, I think of Ghost Rider. Oh, he's I he's was known say, as um, Ghost Rider is known as the Spirit of Vengeance. What's his name? Not Painkiller. What's the dude with the skull that kills all the cops that now everybody associates with cops because they don't know anything about the comic books? Punisher. Yeah, Punisher. I think he of is absolutely yeah. an angel of vengeance. Yeah, a hundred percent. Frank Castle. Frank Castle kills dirty cops. Yeah. He so literally... it's incredibly. I, I actually tried describing this to to Alley Cat. I was like, if only they knew. What Punisher stood for, mm-hmm. no one would spray paint his skull on like that anything. Blue line. Yeah. Because he hated the military yep. complex, he hated the war effort, he hated cops, and he hates like mobs and mafias, any kind of like localized corrupt government. Yeah, any any organization, any it's organization, good or bad, he, he yes, hated. yes, he is completely 
independent agent and thinks systems are naturally corrupt. Yeah. If there's someone at a loss, then there's someone to gain, and the someone to gain is always fucking someone in the ass. Mm -hmm. And that was his thing. And, like, for all these fuckers who, like, paint the blue stripe blank American flag right next to their fucking Punisher skull, I want to be like, you're a fucking knob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the first thing I want to say is like, you read a fucking book, you asshole. <laughs> anyway, um, I have become vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm vengeance. I can't, I can't do it. So I'm just, I'm leaving that one that you did earlier. That's fair. <laughs> My God, a little bit already fucked up. Let's take another drink. <laughs> Woo. Uh, I'm down for that. I like these uh, ice balls because they water down the drink yeah. very appropriately. And mm -hmm. it's like the amount never changes. You're in a uh, eternal loop of drinking the same amount of bourbon for the entire night. Yeah. Um, this is a good bourbon to be doing that. Great. Time. My dad was going to teach me how to play the drums. Oh, that's sad as he did. He was going to teach me how to play the harmonica, too, though I was less interested in that. But he can't teach me anything right now because he's lying unconscious in a hospital bed with tubes sticking out of his face and a bunch of fancy machines monitoring him. Funny story. I taught Django how harmonicas work at the age of, like, 26, 27? Yeah. And he was just like, what do you mean they do that? And I was like, no, they definitely do that. And he was like, no, nah, dude, you just do this. And I was like, nope. He didn't know that you blow in and out. Yeah, and they make different both. sounds. Yeah. He was like, no, you just blow into a harmonica. No, and I was like, no. You could, pull, you could pull in air the same way. Yeah. I learned that from a, a movie. Yeah. I learned um, that at 12 years old when so I had one. And now I've well, no, I, I had one as a kid, too. Yeah. But I, I more so thought about it. Uh, the haunting Ennio Morricone uh, soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in the West is, uh, is someone breathing in and breathing out of a harmonica as they're being hung. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Mom and I stand beside him. She's crying and holding his hand. I wonder if he feels it and knows it's her. Can he recognize someone by the feel of their hands? Maybe he's dreaming that they're walking together down at Wolf Lake where we always had family reunions. That's his favorite place in the world, I think. Mom's holding my hand, too, because right now... The three of us are what's left of our family after Roger got mashed in a car accident three months ago. I hear her crying, but I'm not watching because I'm too busy keeping my eyes on the lady in black, Officer Flowers, who's standing across the bed from us, charred up like a human marshmallow by my friend Meredith. Whenever my family and I go camping, we make s'mores and I love to cook my marshmallow over the fire until it's all black and crispy on the outside, and then I squish it with a piece of chocolate between two graham crackers and all the white marshmallow goop starts to spurt out. Now I'm imagining squishing Officer Charmello between two giant graham crackers until white goop oozes out of her. Oh, yuck. Okay, I just ruined <laughs> s'mores for myself. <laughs> Officer Flowers is staring back at me, I think. It's hard to tell since her eyes are all black, too. Last time I saw her, she was curled up in a ball on the floor of Meredith's bedroom, still on fire. I'd almost think she got better or something, but that's never the case with these things around me. The fact that my mom can't see her is another big hint. I have a premonition that in a couple minutes, the doctor is going to walk in and get my mom to leave with him somehow. I looked up premonition and found that pre means before, 
like a preview is something that you view before the actual thing and a monition is a warning so a premonition is a warning of something before it happens but aren't all warnings about something before it happens you don't warn someone about piranhas after they get eaten by piranhas unless that person is jeffrey baker or lisa welch then i'd be like oh no look out lisa piranhas in the water oh no too late <laughs> sure enough just as i think about excusing myself to go to the bathroom the doctor walks in with his white lab coat and his glasses on top of his head that would have been a perfect one for the Batman where it's, oh no, look out, Lisa, <laughs> piranhas in the water. Oh no. Oh no. Too late. Too late. <laughs> I wonder if he knows he left them there. He's got a folder full of papers. Miss Maverick. He says to my mother. If I may, I've got some things we need to go over. Your daughter can stay here. Mom doesn't bother to correct him on our name. She just nods quietly through her tears, then takes my hand, puts it on dad's hand. And she and the doctor walk out of the room together where they start talking about my dad's condition right outside the window like I can't even hear them. But I can. And he's saying something about a medically induced coma and brain trauma. Well, trauma is never a good word in a hospital. They have a whole ward dedicated to it. Officer Flowers just keeps staring at me, so I stare at her back. I'm really good at staring. Roger used to always tell me to stop staring at him, so I made a habit of remembering to blink from time to time. I wish Pascal was here with me, or Pascal, <laughs> uh, but I left him in my room with my stuff when they bandaged me from my broken ribs. Are broken ribs cool? The kids at my school, Tyler O'Neill, once broke his arm in a skateboarding accident, and everybody at school kept coming up to him going like, whoa, and asking to sign his cast, and I wonder if people will think I'm cool now since I got broken ribs. Also, the whole escaping a burning building thing. Then again, Meredith escaped a burning building, too. It seems like things become less cool the more people that do it. If everybody escapes burning buildings, nobody's going to care if you do it, too. I wonder how Meredith is doing. I don't belong here. It's Officer Flowers singing. <laughs> the inside of her mouth is bright red, so I can see when she talks. Otherwise, it looks like she was just a crumple up ball of paper that got tossed in the fire. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be like looking at just this crumpled up ball of paper that got tossed in the fireplace. Well, maybe you should go where you belong. I don't like her being here. Things die when she's around, like an entire pet shop. She reaches up to the front of her burnt uniform, and I notice that her police badge is still shiny and undamaged. She touches it and says, Duma. Duma says I was not meant to die. You can hear Duma? Officer Flowers nods, which makes a cracking sound like wax paper. Oh god, it's the crunchy sound of her charmallow body, isn't it? I gag at the thought. Now that I've passed the veil, I can hear him. He's had to tell me. He's had a lot to tell me. I hear the voice of doom in my head, and as he talks, her badge seems to shine just the slightest bit brighter. There was a plan. He says. An order to things. But one mistake in the design of the path caused everything to go bad and get steadily worse. I don't understand, I tell them both. Outside in the hall, my mom is nodding as the doctor continues to tell her things I can't hear now. And she looks at me and holds up her hand. Officer Flowers takes over. It's important for you to know this, because you are the knife that cuts the vein. Each of us was given a purpose and a plan. 
we must follow, in most cases unknowingly. Then, by chance or poor planning, the paths of two intersected. Do you understand? I'm nine, I'm not stupid. I have no idea what she means about me being a knife. You're talking about Meredith and Mr. Felix. The charm Mallow nods again. I wish she wouldn't. It sounds awful when her burnt skin crunches and little bits of her crumble off. I shouldn't call her a charm Mallow. I'm sorry, Officer Flowers. The incident between the two caused a disruption in the plan. This was exacerbated by the fact that Felix Clay carries the totem of the holder of secrets, Raziel. His awareness of the situation and the collapse of his mental state from the loss of his son changed things. Instead, our paths never crossed. We are becoming like a tangle of strings. This is making my head hurt. What does acerbated mean? She stands there silently for a moment. Exacerbated? It means to make things worse. I probably should have guessed that. Okay, so... I lean to look at her around and make sure my mom and Dr. Labcoat are still talking. And geez, I could probably wander off and find the cafeteria and get a snack and be back before they even noticed I was gone. So you're saying I was never meant to meet Meredith or Felix or you. In fact, none of us were meant to meet ever. Ever. How did you get tangled in this? And Duma responds. I have been guiding Samantha Flores down a career in law enforcement as an avatar of vengeance. Though we couldn't communicate, I was able to enhance her senses, making her a better detective and a hunter. She worked for the Raylan Falls Police Force at the time that Joseph Clay died on stage after a fire broke out during a magic show being performed by his father. Jeez. This Duma guy really likes to talk. I can almost hear him sticking his nose in the air and holding a wine glass between two fingers while adjusting his monocle as he describes how he single-handedly made Officer Flowers into some sort of super cop. It's like everything he says gets to run through a computer and translate into a snob. I could sense that something was off. Officer Flowers folds her arms. The sound of her crunching sleeves makes me shudder. While I did not come into contact with Felix Clay, there was this... Residual aura left behind by him. I'd never seen anything like it before. I found I could track his movements by following the trail, though I didn't know at the time that it was him I was following. I need to interrupt. I have to use the bathroom, and she stands there looking at me silently, arms crossed. Seriously? I shrug. I'm nine years old. I got a little bladder. Fine. I step past her, smelling the burnt hamburgers from my picnic dream as I do. Mom and the doctor stop their conversation to look at me, and I, I tell her I'm going to use the bathroom and then wander off down the hall where they got these funny bathrooms with stalls for people who might need help getting back up. There's even a cord you can pull to have a nurse or someone come and help lift you off the toilet. I wonder if they ever get people who pull it, even though they're defined. Just as I'm sitting there about to go, the lights flicker and Officer Flowers seems to step into existence like she's made out of smoke. I scream naturally because what the hell, lady? I followed Felix Clay's trail to the burning of the Patterson residence that claimed the lives of John and Camilla Patterson, leaving only their child 
Meredith. Oh my god, are you seriously doing this? I'm on the toilet. I've never seen ghosts before, but now that I have, can I just say they are huge jerks? I tried to be polite, but you know what? You are Officer Charmallow now. Leaving their only child, Meredith. I do not know of Meredith's involvement in the fire that killed Joseph Clay, but my job became clear to track down and enact vengeance upon Felix Clay for the deaths of John and Camilla Patterson. Okay, well, as you can uh. see, he's not here in the bathroom. No Felix hiding in the trash bin or toilet bowl, so you should go. I can't go anywhere. I'm bound to the hospital now. My body is down in the morgue. I feel ready to burst. Why are you telling me all this? What do you want from me? Like me, you and your father's destinies have been altered by the course of events. Although I've crossed the veil, I do have some limited influence before my totem becomes another's. If you will perform one last act and avenge me, I can help your father. Doing this will also fix the tangle of strings that are our paths and put things right again. There are others at risk from this. We need to fix it before too many others become affected by it. Let me get this straight. I can't even keep a hamster alive, but the angels are expecting me to fix their mess up that has killed at least four people that I know of, put a pet store out of business, burn down two homes, and put my dad in a coma. Yeah, can you give me two minutes to think about this? She turns away from me, and for a moment I think she's going to step back into nothingness, like how she got here, but she just stands there. This looming adult-sized burnt corpse in a crispy police officer's uniform with little flaky bits falling off of her. Outside, I say. She steps forward, vanishing like smoke. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thinking on it, I was figuring Felix wasn't done with Meredith anyway. He's got it in his head that he's going to fill her noggin with lies and turn her into some sort of punisher of normal people. I wonder why. If the angels give us these gifts, if you want to call them that, why they don't just take his away, brush their hands off, and then kick his weasel butt into a lake of fire. I wonder if there really is a lake of fire. I should remember to ask Pascal that when I get back to the room with my stuff. Well, on the other hand, I've never killed anybody. I don't know that I could. I mean, it would be pretty easy if I just got close enough to him that I could tell him he's going to trip down a flight of stairs and break his neck. I've always tried to avoid killing him, though. I just... I don't know if I've got it in me. But I guess when it comes down to it, the most important thing is helping my dad. He still has to teach me how to play the drums. Otherwise, we got to pay for a tutor. I finish up my business finally, now that I've got privacy. Wash my hands, you know, you should always wash your hands. And then step out to find Officer Charmello standing right outside staring at me. I almost have a heart attack. It takes me a moment to catch my breath. All right, I'll help, but I'm not shaking on it. I just wanted to wash my hands, and your hands are really gross. Thank you, child, says Duma. But if I do this, and you don't make my dad get better, we're going to have a problem. That's how my mom always talks. She says we're going to have a problem every time she expects me to do something like empty the dishwasher or clean out my backpack after a week of returned homework assignments. Like, Lily, you better get your butt in the kitchen and empty the dishwasher or else we're going to have a problem. 
I've learned that from experience, that the problem we're going to have is she's going to repeat herself only louder. <laughs> In this case, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's kind of an empty threat, but I hope she does what she's promised. Officer Charmella reaches up and removes the shiny badge from her chest, and she holds it out to me. Take this. It is my connection to Duma. Isn't that like... A ghost badge? I mean, isn't your real badge down in the morgue with your body? No one else will be able to see it, yes. Do you want to be seen carrying the badge of a dead officer? I can think of some kids at school who I, I, I'd score some cool points with if I showed up with a dead cop's badge, actually. But not kids I want to associate with. And yeah, I get her point. Careful to avoid touching her flaky, blackened skin, I pluck the badge from her hand. The moment I do, I feel strange. The lights in the hall seem to get brighter. The air becomes dirty. I realize that I can see the little particles of dust floating around. And when I breathe in, I can smell and taste what each bit of dust is. And holy, holy hell. hell, I'm in a hospital full of sick people and I can smell and taste them. There's a person in one of the nearby rooms and they smell like fungus. Even worse, I suddenly become aware of the other people in the hall. And there's an old lady in a wheelchair leaning against the wall just down a ways from us. She stares at the floor and doesn't move, but I can tell that she's not really there because she sort of fades in and out of my vision. And another one, a little boy whose face looks swollen and purplish, is sitting on one of those rolling hospital beds. He's watching me, and I wonder how long he's been doing that. This is what every day was like for you? I feel a burp coming on, but it may be my tummy deciding to empty itself, so I force it back down. This smells terrible. You now possess the power of Duma. You are an agent of vengeance. Officer Chamala seems to turn somewhat transparent, like she really is made of smoke. You'll get used to it. I don't want to get used to it. I just want to kill Felix and save my dad. She starts to fade away. Her feet have already vanished. Her legs are trailing off like genies in Aladdin. She would make a terrible genie. Unless you were wishing for nightmares. Heck, I wasn't even wishing for nightmares, and now I'm going to have nightmares. Never mind, Felix Clay. Avenge me as we agreed, and then return here. What do you mean, never mind, Felix Clay? How am I gonna... Oh, no. Her body is wisp of smoke now, too. Her head and shoulders are all that's left. You must kill Meredith Patterson. She's gone. Wait a minute! I shout, and Duna's badge shines in my hand. I tip my hand to drop it, and it vanishes the moment it hits the floor, and a second later, it appears pinned on my shirt. Panicking, I claw at it, but my fingers go through like it isn't there, and the ghosts in the hall watch me silently. You must kill Meredith Patterson if you want to save your father. Duma says, I did not agree to do that, I yell. And a nurse passes by, frowning at me. Yes, you did. Meredith didn't do anything. She was under Felix's spell. He made us both think things we wouldn't have otherwise. I need to get back to my room. I start running in the direction of it so I can get Pascal and talk this out. A doctor sees me and calls me to stop him running, so I turn it into a speed walk because those are allowed in hospitals. Meredith is the thread that tangles the knot. Duma keeps talking. He really does sound like a giant snob, like one of the jerks from Leisha Welch's crew. I don't want to talk to him. I want to talk to Pascal. If you kill Felix Clay, 
you and Meredith will remain tangled. More will become tangled. The only thing binding you to Felix Clay is Meredith Patterson. Once she's gone... Shut up! He will have no reason to remain here. I get back to my room and Pascal is chilling on the hospital bed in his snazzy vest, leaning propped up against my backpack. He doesn't act at all surprised by the fact that I show up wearing Officer Chumalo's badge. I'm out of breath and my ribs have started to hurt some again, so I have to take a moment to calm down. Pascal, I'm seeing dead people. And I think I made a bad deal with one. I know. He says. I warned you. I'm sorry it's had to come to this. What do you mean? Isn't there anything I can do? Yes. Unfortunately, you must get rid of Meredith. I can't believe this is happening. This is a bad dream. Wake up, Lily. Wake up. I don't understand. Felix is the real threat. He knows all about you and is evil. Why does it have to be Meredith? It's not our place to question the plan. This must be done to set things right. Any further deviations risk catastrophic consequences. Don't you want your father to get better? I don't want to do this. I want to make things right, but killing my third best friend is not making things right. Have any of you thought about how this is messing up my fragile mental state? I ask. I told you I'm sorry. I care about you, you know that. I'll always be here for you. You must do this one thing for us. I tried to guide you away from this outcome, but was unable to. I can only promise I'll never ask it of you again. If you don't do this, things will continue to get worse. I gather up my stuff, hesitate picking up Pascal, then sigh and take him as well. You better be ready to go with me to all my new therapy sessions, because I'm definitely going to need one now. <laughs> this is so messed up. By the way, how come I'm seeing ghosts? You told me when people die, they either go one way or the other, or sit in their bodies in purgatory. Duma, the snob, chimes in. Some people are never buried. They are cremated. A soul with no body to wait in can wander. Oh, shut up, I snap. We walk, well, I walk back to my dad's room in, in the intensive care unit, and the doctor in the lab coat is gone, and mom is sitting in the room next to dad, holding his hands again. When she sees me, she stands up, comes over, gives me a great big hug. I see you went back to your room and got your stuff, she kisses the top of my head. Yeah, and a little something more. I wonder if she notices there anything different about me. I notice more things about her than I think I ever have before. For one thing, I can smell her deodorant. There's coconut and shea butter in the shampoo she uses. Also, her heart is beating really fast. I can taste her hug. It's so unpleasant, but she feels warm and I hug her back anyway. Your father is struggling, but they have some hopes of a recovery, she says. I can tell that she's lying because she uses the higher pitched tone of voice. It almost makes her sound like she's a little kid. I can't explain how I know this, I just hear it and detect it. We'll visit and check on him every day until he gets better. I squish against her. Okay. Do you want to get something to eat and then head home? It's been an awful day, I imagine you want to get some sleep. Sleep sounds nice. Mom ruffles my hair. She's trying to be playful, but with my dad in a coma right next to us, it's kind of losing its flavor. 
Tomorrow I'll take the day off and we'll just do some stuff. Just you and me. Sound good? I kind of want to just go to school. I say glumly. And mom looks saddened. Oh, okay. I understand. Sometimes it's easier to take our mind off things if we just stick to our routines. Yeah. That and I have to kill my classmate. Noise. <laughs> the title of the next one. <laughs> just as as literal. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Lily Madwhip, and I have to murder my friend for a dead woman. Yeah, sounds sounds about right. <laughs> Make sure you check the air in the tires. That's Jamal. He lives next door to me, and he's my second best friend, though he thinks he's my first. I'm borrowing his bicycle to get across town to the Red Moon Hotel, where my third best friend, Meredith, is currently staying. It's a long story, so let me speed you up. Meredith has a melted Barbie named Nathaniel that makes her able to burn things when she's angry. I mean, like, burn things without matches. I've burned things when I'm angry, but they were just old journals from second grade. I used a magnifying glass to heat up from the sun. Uh, it took forever, but I managed to burn a hole right through them. That's, well, that's besides the point. Meredith has to die. The ghost of a dead police officer named Officer Flowers told me this. It was all backed up by my doll, Pascal. If I'm waiting for, if, if I was someone else, this would sound crazy to me. So I'm not telling Jamal why he's loaning me his bicycle. He thinks it's because Meredith is in danger from a man who's very weasel-like, who happened to assault my dad, kidnap me, crash our car, leaving my dad in a coma, and try and turn Meredith into a supervillain. I guess that's more believable to Jamal. It's been three days since Officer Flowers told me I had to kill Meredith if I wanted her to help my dad come out of his coma. I've been going to school every day since then, waiting for her to show up. I'm not sure how I would have killed her if she had shown up. I was still working that out. But when I'm around Meredith, the things I say tend to come true. So I could just tell her to go into the bathroom and accidentally stab herself with a pencil and boom. Except that would be awful. Ugh. Just thinking about it makes my tummy hurt. I don't want her to die. I've got to do this, though, as an act of vengeance for the angel of death. Because Meredith killed Officer Flowers... On purpose, I think. Maybe by accident. Whatever the reason. Officer Flowers died and wants revenge. And now it's my job. Lily. Hey, hey, Lily. Jamal snaps his fingers in front of my face. I was zoning out again. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll check the air in the tires. Meredith didn't show up for school. Not Wednesday, not Thursday, and not Friday. I should have figured she wouldn't. I mean... I ended up with two broken ribs trapped in a burning house, Meredith's house, and my dad in a coma, and I still went back to school the next day. But if I didn't have to kill Meredith, I'd probably have taken the rest of the week off. Instead, I spent those days gathering information about where she was. Obviously, she didn't go back to the house of her foster parents because it was all burned up and taped off by police as a crime scene. So where did they go? Thankfully, the town isn't huge. So word got around. According to Bobby Sedgwick from sixth grade, the Lakes, Meredith's foster parents, moved into the Red Moon Hotel just off the highway. I heard this from his dad, who works at the post office where Mr. Lake stopped by and asked him to forward his mail there until their house got repaired. 
Bobby told Tyler O'Neill because they always played kickball together. Tyler told everybody else, except me. I just happened to overhear two girls talking about it while I sat on the swings at morning recess on Thursday. They like Tyler a lot. He's popular because he's good at sports. I've packed my backpack for the trip. A flashlight in case I go somewhere dark? Check. A screwdriver for taking screws off things? Check. They always got on screw stuff in the movies, especially hotels. Hotel killing is like 90% crawling through air vents, if the movies are to be believed. Two chocolate bars? Check. Jamal gave me those. He said, take these. And I said, why? He said, in case you get hungry. He's so nice. A knife in case things get desperate. Check. Mom didn't see me stuffing on my sweatshirt sleeve at breakfast. It's kind of gross because it had butter on it. It's a butter knife. I know. <laughs> it's kind of gross because it had butter on it. And now my arm's all greasy. <laughs> extra socks. Check. You never know when you need extra socks. And of course, there's Pascal poking his head out the top of the backpack. Check. I've also got a $20 bill I borrowed from Mom's purse this morning. She might not notice it's missing because she usually carries a bunch of money for taking clients out to lunch. My mom is an executive. I asked her once what an executive does, and she said they execute people. Then she and Dad laughed. I wonder if they'd be laughing now, knowing that I'm following in her footsteps. Hey, Jamal, I say as I unzip my backpack and throw it over my shoulder. Yeah? Be careful going up your front steps, or if you're going to trip and scrape your knee. I climb on his bike, but it's too high up. So I straddle the top tube, and thanks for the bike and the chocolate. He grins at me. I'll go around back and just avoid the stairs altogether. Jamal always listens to me. Thursday night, I look at the map to find the quickest way to get to the Red Moon Hotel, then use the little scale thing on the map to figure out how far it is. Because it would take like an, about half an hour, I figured the best time to go would be Saturday morning while my mom was at her Pilates class. She's there right now, thinking I'm at home, watching cartoons, or up in my room painting a still life, not pedaling my way out of the neighborhood with only a vague sense of where I'm going and a backpack full of murder toys and chocolate bars. Murder toy. She'd flip out if she knew I left the house because the weasel guy, Felix, knows where I live and is still out there. She wouldn't have gone to Pilates class at all if I hadn't promised to keep all the doors locked and the cordless phone within reach. The ride across town is, is uneventful. I keep my eyes out for cars following me. Felix is a nasty customer, as they say. He gets in your head, knows your secrets, and when me or Meredith are nearby, he somehow makes you think and act in a way you wouldn't normally. I don't really understand it at all. Neither does Pascal. He admitted to me that the whole boost we get when we're around each other is an unexpected side effect. That's why it was decided by whoever makes decisions that those of us with totems should be kept away from each other. Pascal is my totem. Meredith says her melted Barbie, Nathaniel. Felix has a locket with a photo of his son on it. Supposedly, that's his totem for Raziel, the, the angel of secrets. But I haven't exactly gotten to talk to Raziel, so I can't be sure. A, a half hour pedaling and five minute break to eat chocolate is kind of boring. So I distract myself by singing. Uh, Going down to Cowtown, Cow's a friend of me. Lives beneath the ocean, that's where I will be. See, I was going to sing. 
I was going to sing Old Town Road with the <laughs> ride till I can't no more. Got the horses in the back. Da -da 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 -da. I don't know the words. That's probably why you didn't say <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly why I didn't say it. I was like, what are the words? I was like, I know three of these. I, I don't know. I can only ever remember the chorus of that song. But at least I know all the lyrics to take on me and don't stop believing. So I switch to those tunes every now and then. I'm wondering what song that was. Because it sounds kind of familiar. It's a, you want to Google it quick? Nah, I don't care that much. Okay. You can, in, in post, you'll put a little <laughs> clip of the, of the song. Even then, I probably <laughs> won't. The journey is made slightly more interesting by the fact that having Duma with me makes me sense things differently. I can hear birds flapping their wings and see trails of what I guess are auras or something that people leave whenever they walk around. Things are a lot noisier with Duma. Beneath the waves, the waves, that's where I'll be. I wonder what Meredith is doing at the hotel. Maybe she's spending all her time in the pool. Would that cancel out her fire? Probably not. I bet she can keep the water nice and warm, though. Pools at hotels are always chilly. Hell, she can even stew people in it. Yikes. Note to self, stay out of the pool. Duma asks if he can teach me a new song. I tell him no, because I, I don't really like Duma. He's kind of snobby and isn't even really there. The badge attached to my shirt with the name Officer Flowers Town is a ghost badge, and I can't get rid of it. When I take my shirt off, it appears pinned to my skin, which really freaks me out. <laughs> I can hear the cars on the highway well before I get up close to it. Up ahead is the Red Moon Hotel. Whoever designed the sign for it was lazy, because there's nothing indicating the big red circle is the moon, except that the name of the hotel is Red Moon Hotel. It could just as easily be the Red Circle Hotel, or the Red O Hotel, or the Red Pizza Pie Hotel. Now I want a piece of pizza. We're going to see the cow beneath the sea. We're going to see the cow beneath the sea. That's where, beneath the waves, that's where... I totally know that song, but I, 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 I'm, yeah. getting, I'm getting it like parts of it wrong. It's, and it's throwing me off. Yeah, I definitely don't know that song. I park Jamal's bike behind the dumpster and lock it into a railing. Oh, you know what song I'm thinking of? Out on the ocean, where I wanna be, she may be way down on the ocean. See, that one sounds familiar to me. Yeah, no, that's the what other I'm one thinking. Yeah. No, now that I know what song I'm trying to sing, I noticed how wrong I am. Okay, okay. Anyway. <laughs> I parked Jamal's bike behind a dumpster and lock it to a railing. He told me his lock combination so the bike wouldn't get stolen. I think at this point my mission should be one of stealth. The fewer people that know I was ever here, the better. There's an old man with a bag, white beard, and a little office. <laughs> Big white beard saying, hey there, Balto. <laughs> Come on hey there, in. Balto. Don't you want to fuck Santa's ass? <laughs> I hate that I've seen that. <laughs> Pascal says his name is R Rapaldo? Rodolfo. 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 <laughs> that sounds too much like the name of Santa's reindeer. Apparently, he's from Italy, and it's the best I don't know about what type of magazine he's reading, but he is reading, and 
Oh, jeez. Apparently... But he is reading it and got his feet up on the desk. Yeah. So he's not paying attention to a little nine-year-old girl with her backpack creeping past the door. However, he's going to flip the page and check the clock in less than a minute. So I scoop by just before he does. It really helps to see things before they happen when you're trying not to be seen. Jeez, there's like a hundred rooms here. Or 40. I guess 40 is a better estimate. <laughs> I walk through the rooms. It's like, that's like a manageable in an afternoon. Whereas like 100 is like, ah, fuck. I walk along the rows of doors that look out towards the parking lot and the highway. Someone's watching television. And there's a commercial about heartburn relief. Someone else is taking a shower and using soap that smells like a punch in the face from a leprechaun. All the sounds and smells are making me want to plug my ears and nose. But the worst part is nice. the sheer number of cockroach tippy taps I hear. So many cockroaches, all of them skittering around by the sound of their little feet. I feel like if I got any more sensations, I'd be reading their tiny brain thoughts. Do cockroaches even have thoughts? I imagine if I was a cockroach, I'd think all I'd think about was how gross I am. I'm trying to think of the cockroach from Courage the Cowardly Dog who's just like... I'm gonna knife you. And just like, <laughs> and pulls out a fucking switchblade. Yeah. I'm gonna get you. It's like all I can think about. And it's totally inaccurate. I pass room 34, and suddenly the air gets darker. There's smoke. Oh my god, the hotel is on fire. No, wait. That's just me. I'm high. Oh god, I'm on fire! Except there's no heat. Or flames. Oh. Oh. This is that black smoke that came off Officer Flowers. This is a sign. Meredith. I'm getting closer to her. I wonder if she'll be able to see this black smoke. Shoot. This is not stealthy at all. Just as I reach the next hotel room, the door to room 36 opens, and Mrs. Lake, Meredith's foster mom, walks out. She doesn't seem to notice me and turns in the opposite direction. Heading towards her car, I guess, leaving a trail of a faint blue aura around her. She's got her keys with her, so she must be going somewhere. Moments later, I watch her drive off. Room 36. This is it. This is Meredith's room. I crouch down and drop my backpack. <laughs> Gotta be quick. Can't think. In and out. Kill Meredith. Save Dad. I test the doorknob gently. Locked. Damn, better give up, better go home. <laughs> Nobody's coming. The black smoke that's covering me is seeping under the door. I really hope she doesn't see it. I can hear her inside watching a cartoon. Pull out the screwdriver, gotta take the doorknob off. I don't even know if that works. You know what? It doesn't matter, because I brought one of those screwdrivers with the cross C tip things, and these are the screws that use the flat kind. Oh, great. I put the stupid screwdriver back and pull out my knife. Maybe I can jimmy the lock. I wonder who Jimmy was, that they named breaking locks after him. I bet he was a burglar or something. Jimmy, the cat burglar. Now I'm wondering why they call him cat burglars. Hamburglers steal hamburgers, so a cat burglar must steal cats? But why? Maybe nobody would sell them cats anymore. After all, I imagine most pet stores in the area have a cover photo of me with a sign that says, do not sell to this customer. I'm in the middle of what I thought was the door. I'm, I'm in the middle of thought when the door opens and Meredith is standing there. Lily, what are you doing? I'm kneeling in front of the hotel door with a butter knife. 
What does it look like? Meredith! Hi! How did you know I was here? Did the angels tell you? She opens the door further. That's a really tiny hotel room. It looks like her foster parents all sleep in separate beds, too, and Meredith has a sleeping bag on the floor. Oh, she's watching Bugs Bunny. No, actually, I, I heard it at school. I stand up and stuff the butter knife up my sleeve. She sees me do it, though, <laughs> so it's kind of pointless. You haven't been coming to class, so I came to find you. I, uh, came to say sorry about your house burning down and your turtle dying. Are you watching Bugs Bunny? She nods. Yeah, do you want to come in? Sure. I grab my backpack and follow her into the tiny hotel room. There's clothes all over the bed. I could tell the difference between Clee's clothes and dirty clothes from the smells. It's really distracting. Duma takes this moment to start singing. It startles me, but fortunately, Meredith can't hear it, and she looks away just as I jump. Shall my soul ascend with rapture when the day of life is past, while my house of clay shall slumber? Shall I then with Jesus rest? I imagine an organ playing in oh, the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Shut it. I snap at him. Meredith looks back at me. What? I clench up. The door. The, the door. We should shut the door. It's not safe outside. Oh, yeah. She shuts the door behind us. All right. I'm in. I've, I've got to do this. <laughs> I'm in. How? What would be the gentlest? I don't want her to suffer. I can't just say, you're going to die. Because what if the manner is violent and painful? Maybe I tell her she's going to die in her sleep. But that could even be painful if she chokes on her tongue or the TV falls on her head. We got Oreos if you want any. Oh, Oreos. Actually, I've got a chocolate bar if you want a piece. Meredith sighs and smiles. I'm glad you showed up. I've been so worried about you. And I miss school. And you. Did I say I'm glad you're here? Yeah. Well, I am. If that Felix guy shows up, this time I'll burn him alive. Suddenly, she grabs me and squeezes me in a big hug. It hurts. Ow, ow, my ribs, ow, my, my ribs, I moan. Oh, sorry. She lets go. I rub my achy side. It's okay. I missed you, too. How am I supposed to kill this girl? I can't do this. I shouldn't have come here. There's black smoke everywhere, too. It's real annoying. I can feel it on my legs. It's cold, oily feeling. And I want it to stop. But it's not going to until either Meredith is dead or I'm gone. Duma starts bossing me around. Tell her that she's going to die. Just be done with this. Shut up, Duma. Actually, Meredith, uh, my brain is going haywire with all the sounds and smells. And I'm trying to see how she dies in my head. But all I see is this stupid black smoke. I... I would love some Oreos. Okay, me too. Mrs. Lake, my mom, went out to the store just like a minute ago and she'll be back, but if you want, we can watch cartoons and just hang out. Sounds good. The badge on my shirt flashes angrily. If you won't get this done, I'll handle things. Duma says, and then the badge fades from my shirt. What does that mean? The cold oiliness leaves my legs. 
and I watch as the smoke that's all around my feet start to move like water, gathering up beside me. In a moment, it seems to take on the form of a person, like I'm standing in front of a bright light, and my shadow is projected on the air beside me. I stare at it. It looks back at me. It is me. What the fuck? I start to say. <laughs> the shadow steps past me, toward Meredith, who's hunched over, going through a grocery bag by the little fridge that comes with the room. I don't know how this works, but if she dies there, she's going to crush all the Oreos. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. <laughs> the shadow's leg looked like they're connected to mine, so I, I step back, dragging Duma away from Meredith as he reaches for her. He turns. Stop it. He tells me. Just let me do this so we can be done. What the what? What the what? <laughs> Meredith stands up and walks right through Duma's shadow. I tense up, thinking she's going to turn to dust or drop straight dead or something. But instead, she hands me an Oreo. Like a good friend. Smiles. Then goes to sit on the far bed. I can't take this anymore. I stick the Oreos in my pocket. Meredith, I have to be honest. Okay. She brushes her hair out of her milky eye and looks at me. Duma's shadow drifts towards her. I feel like Peter Pan if Peter Pan's shadow was trying to murder all the Lost Boys. I take a deep breath. I have to tell you this real fast because there's an angel who's seriously trying to kill you right now. But the lady in the black who, who you killed in your home after Felix, not you, and now her angry ghost has told me that if I kill you, she'll help my dad who's in a coma and the real reason I gave you her to, to... I can't say it outright. I'm such a terrible friend. To get my dad out of the coma. I try to grab the smokiness that I'm projecting and pull Duma's shadow back like he's on a rope, but it does no good. My hands just go right through. Instead, I step back, dragging him with me. He looks at me again, and I can tell he's glaring at me, even if I can't see his face. Or her face. Because it's my shadow. Just, he looks like my silhouette. What I just said is still sinking in with Meredith. Wait. Wait. You came here to kill me? I didn't want to. You're my best friend. Third best, really. But I don't need to say that. Is the room getting hotter? I can see Meredith clenching her fist slightly. No, 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 no. That is not a good sign. No, no fire, Meredith. But I hold up my hands like maybe I can get her to warn off the burning me alive. But I got a better idea because we're f because friends don't kill friends, right? Friends don't kill friends. What are you doing, Lily? Pascal asks. Pascal says that if you give me your Barbie and the one I told you has an angel in it, I can use her to stop Felix. No, don't do that. I never said that. Meredith looks at her sleeping bag. Barbie, but... Duma's shadow lurches forward and his hand goes right into Meredith's chest. Whatever she was about to say is cut off by her gasping out in pain. I leap back, banging against the door, but Duma doesn't come with me. He's got his hands on her heart or something. He's holding on. Rather than getting pulled with me, he's going to kill her. Stop, Duma! Stop! I yell. He ignores me. Meredith makes a choking sound and falls back on the bed, her arms flailing at her sides. I can't watch this. 
I need to do something. She looks at her sleeping bag. Nathaniel and the melted Barbie must be in there. I run over to it. There's actually a really soft sleeping bag, and I got one of those built-in pillows. Fancy. The one we use in my family is like an heirloom, I think. It's passed down from my dad's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Also, I think somebody peed in it in a century ago, and it didn't get washed for a long time after. There's always this smell. Never mind that. Nathaniel's right there in the bag. I grab him, and he urgently declares, Run! So I do just that. I'm hoping if I get far enough away, out of the hotel room door, into the parking lot, past several parked cars, and a few more feet, the black smoke was trailing off me like a waterfall vanishes. From the open hotel room door, I hear Meredith suddenly scream, followed by a loud crash. Other people poke their heads out of their rooms and start asking each other where it came from. I hear a couple different people dialing their phones and calling for emergency services. Man, I can't go 10 minutes around Meredith without emergency services being called. It's ridiculous. Officer Flowers, Ghost Badge, reappears pinned on my shirt. Do you have any idea what you've done? I hear Duma shouting. The badge isn't just shining with his words. It's glowing. It's like an oven burner when you set it to the highest temperature. I think that if this weren't a ghost badge, it would be burning me. I ignore him and run back without looking. Rodolfo, the Italian hotel manager, comes hurrying. Uh, Rodolfo, the Italian hotel manager, comes hurrying out of his office and past me. Me? I finally snap at Duma. What kind of angel tries to kill a little kid? I cut around the corner and back to Jamal's bicycle locked behind a dumpster. The angel of death. You need to go back and finish this, Pascal says grimly. Carrying three totems is dangerous. You're attracting the worst kind of attention. Samuel, I'm not going to kill Meredith. I, hus I hiss at his voice. They're distracting me too much and making it hard to remember Jamal's bike clock combination. I'm going to kill Felix. Felix Clay is only in town because of Meredith. Without her totem, he will have no reason to not take out his revenge on her, which he perceives as the murder of his son. With her totem, she will continue to pose a threat by being near you. You're talking too much. I can't think. You're making things worse. I pound my fist on the bike seat. I didn't ask for any of this. I can see heat building through my fingers. They all go quiet. Thank God. I'm able to think and focus on the combination. Once it's off, I hop back on Jamal's bike and start pedaling towards home. Along the way, an ambulance drives by. Its light's not flashing, which I hope is a good sign that I managed to keep Duma from killing Meredith. I'm sorry, Meredith. I'm so angry at Duma. I scream at the top of my lungs. Some kids playing in their front yard look at me like I'm crazy. Maybe I am crazy. Lily, Pascal says, what do you want? I don't want to pa talk to Pascal. I don't want to talk to Nathaniel either. I especially don't want to talk to Duma. You need to go back to the motel. I told you, I'm not going back. I'm not killing one of the only two people in this world who really is my friends. You angels are a screw up. You made a mistake and now you're putting it on me to fix your screw up. Well, that's not very grown up. You need to turn around 
right now. I'm not killing Meredith. Duma speaks next. I grip my teeth because his snobby voice just boils my blood and the padding of the handlebar of Jamal's bike is starting to smolder. I can sense the heat building up in my hands, even though it doesn't hurt. It's like the red-hot rage in my head. Lily, Duma says. We won't ask you to kill Meredith, and I should never have tried to do it myself. You must go back to the hotel, though. I slow my pedaling. What for? I snarl. Look behind you. I pull the, the bicycle over and look back. The two kids who watched me scream as I rode past are jumping up and down, shouting and pointing. Who wouldn't? There's a tree in an adjoining yard, and the whole thing is up in flames. Burning branches are collapsing under their own weight. It's a raging inferno. What just happened? I whisper. Pascal answers. Felix Clay just drove by in a stolen ambulance. Shit! Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, she. Well, we're entering the final, the final chapter. Is this the final it's, one? I th I think it is. I, I would say, say with the amount of page pages, count seems like yeah. With the page with the page count left, I would say maybe maybe there's two more. I'll say there might be like a mini one, like wrap up. Yeah, there might be a small one, because okay. they they tend to average around ten pages, ten ten to twelve maybe. So yeah, there might be another one after. Yeah. My name is Lily Madwhip, and I can't save everybody. Yeah, neither can I. Neither can the world. Yeah? Fuck you it, know, come even, all. Even <laughs> Not where I was gonna go, but I mean, that's, you know, I that's mean, cool. We could talk about it. You want, you, you want me to start talking about overpopulation? <laughs> no, Because I fucking will, bud. I'm, I will for I way what, too long. I know what you did to your testicles. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired, too. I'm tired of all of this. I've had too much caffeine. I'm not tired. I'm going to be up way too fucking late tonight. I'm fucking ready. I want to go home. <laughs> and not look back and curl up in bed. Maybe pedal over to the cemetery and see Roger and ask him if he wants to trade places for a bit. That sounds nice. Maybe he'd like to get up, stretch his legs, play with the cre three crazy <laughs> angels for a while. I think Felix would have a hard time dealing with Roger. Not because he's dead, but because he always liked to argue. Pascal's talking to me. You cannot continue to carry three totems. Even just having two was a risk. Just stop. I've had Pascal for years, and he always told me stuff. Ever since Meredith showed up, though, he's been telling me stuff like I feel like I should have been told sooner. There are others with angels, for one, and some of them are crazy. And if we get close to each other, bad things happen. Like one of us can wipe out an entire pet store. That seems like a pretty big, important thing to let someone know. You need to know this. I sit on Jamal's bike and watch a tree burn. I accidentally set it on fire when I got angry earlier and it just happened to be passed by an ambulance that apparently had Felix in it. There's people running around yelling and some lady in a white shirt and grandma pants keeps running out of her house with a pitcher and throwing water on it. Grandma pants are what I call pants that billow out like a genie's pants and are covered with flowery designs. They're what my Nana always wore. Fine, what is it? The angel who's named Samuel also called the seducer and the one who accuses, is drawn to power and answers to none but himself. I also want to point out, uh, it's Samael, but Samael. you just, just decided to call him Samuel, which we're going to stay with. Yeah. 
because you almost definitely... every single yeah. angel has been read wrong. I was gonna say Duma is the only one that's correct. I mean, you said Nathaniel pretty pretty okay, but yeah, fair enough. Raziel have no fucking clue if that's correct. <laughs> yeah, def probably not. Normally, Pascar or yeah. Pascal drones on almost like a computer. Now he sounds afraid. Even when Roger, even when Roger was dangling him out of a car window, he never showed fear. I guess Sammy terrifies him. And what? He's going to kill me because I have three totems? Worse. There isn't a lot I can imagine that's worse than dying. Torture. They must be talking about torture. I know torture. I've been in two car wrecks recently. I saw a woman burn to death and curl up like a little ball into a pill bug. I had to sit in Mr. Longbow's office right next to Lisa Welch. <laughs> I'd still no, rather watching, do... <laughs> watching an officer die... Lisa well. <laughs> I'd still rather do all of those things over again than die. Just focus, Lily. Get the doll back to Merida. But why? If you said she had to die and not having Nathaniel will get her killed, then isn't this what you want? The totem must be under the control of its earthly connection at the end of their life in order for it to be passed on. Oh, great. Oh, that was Duma speaking. Oh. <laughs> the totem must be under the control of its earthly connection at the end of their life in order for it to be passed on. Oh, great. He sounds like someone is constantly pinching his nose shut, and he wears a monocle and smokes a cigarette on the end of a long stick, which he flicks the ashes onto people as they walk by. What? I, I, I don't... What? I hate it when Duma speaks because he doesn't care if I understand what he's saying. It's very complicated, Pascal says. I'll explain it. Just get back to the hotel. Now. Somebody shoves me from behind hard. I almost fall over the handlebars of the bike, but when I look back, there's nobody there. Did one of you just shove me? I don't wait for an answer. I get the message. I hop back up on the bike seat and start pedaling in the direction of the highway. The hotel is near. I wonder what my mom is doing right now. Maybe she stopped to get a coffee on her way home and doesn't know I'm gone yet. She will flip out when she finds out I'm missing. I wouldn't blame her either. I hope she understands I'm doing this, all of this, to save my dad. If I can fix the tangled mess of strings the angels made. The hotel isn't far, thankfully. I'd only just left it a few minutes ago. Bolted is probably a better word. Okay, I ran like hell. Up ahead I can see the ambulance parked in a lot and bunches of people standing around rubbernecking. Lily? Pascal says. Imagine a tracking device. Like in a spy movie. Which spy movie? I like spy movies. I saw one once where a guy was wearing a mask that made him look like another guy. He couldn't talk, though, because he sounded like himself. It doesn't matter which one. Some spy movies don't have tracking devices, I grumble. I'll think of the one with the guy in the mask. He had a tracking device. They hid it in the computer desk when a bad lady used the desk. They were able to locate her. Each totem gives off a signal like a tracking device. The more totems there are in close proximity, the more powerful the signal. Samuel is drawn to that signal. Do you understand? Somewhat. I don't know what a proximity is, but I think I got the idea. So what does Samuel want totems? I just want to point out that proximity is B-R-O-C-K-S-I-M-I-N-Y. Proximity. Proximity. The crowd up ahead is moving out of the way, and I see Meredith. She's being carried out of her family's hotel room by a person wearing an EMT uniform. He's got a surgical mask over his mouth, but I recognize those weasel features even across the parking lot. 
Also, I can totally see his stupid weasel aura. It's brown, like, like a, a weasel. weasel. Someone in the crowd covers their mouth and whispers. Oh my god! Someone burned that poor child! <laughs> Little do they know that they're watching the culprit put her in an ambulance. Meredith! I yell, hopping down off the bike and letting it clatter to the ground. Meredith doesn't look up. She seems limp and unconscious. Felix looks up, though, and squints his weasel eyes at me, and I squint back. At the same time, I feel the air around me start to heat up. I clench my fists, and I think for a second that my shoes are on fire for some reason when black smoke starts appearing under my feet. I forget that that, that happens. happens. Felix sees this and does a double take, looking at me, then Meredith, then back at me. He almost drops her, but stops himself and adjusts his footing, and then lays her down in the back of the ambulance. Lillian? He calls up to me as I match toward him. Did I just pass you on the way here? I thought that was you. That means you did this to Meredith? Goodness, how violent you've become. The crowd turns to look at little old me. I don't care. I'm staring at Felix. Death daggers. That's what I'm doing. Shooting death daggers with my eyes. The tarmac of the parking lot starts to blister. A nearby telephone pole starts hissing and then splits up the middle. And a pillar of flame runs up both halves. Everybody starts yelling and pointing, not realizing that the source of it is all this little girl with the angry death dagger eyes and the weasel-faced man in the EMT uniform. I guess it's mostly me. Felix watches all this, and I can see his eyes get big, but he grins beneath his surgical mask. Is that you, Lillian? It is. Oh, you have Meredith's toy. That means I could have this power, doesn't it? If I take it from you, amazing. He brushes off his hands, even though I don't think they were dirty. Lillian, you know you want this all to be over. You want to be rid of those annoying angels? Just give them to me. I'll take care of them for you. I don't think so, Mr. Felix. Mr. Weaselman. I'm going to deal with you, and then... He suddenly turns to a man standing near him. Excuse me, Mr. Jensen. Mr. Lawrence Jensen. This man is big. He's real big. He towers over Felix. He's got a big, bushy brown beard and a leather jacket with a skull on it that looks like it's made up of metal. I want to guess that he's a motorcyclist, maybe rides with a bunch of other big, bearded men through the desert, and hangs out in seedy bars by the side of a barren highway, but I could be wrong to judge people based on how they're dressed. He turns at the name Jensen and looks confused. Do I know you? Felix doesn't acknowledge the question. That little girl there with the brown hair and the death dagger stare stole a couple dolls from this one I'm helping. I stutter. What? No, I didn't. Oh, wait, I sort of did. Mr. Jensen, the maybe motorcyclist, turns and looks at me and his beard bends down in a scowl. He looks like Santa Claus's angry brother, Anti-Claus. Hey, you, he says at me. Come here. You're going to have to give that girl her balto back. <laughs> Felix winks at me. She also stole your wallet. <laughs> I go from angry to scared. Anti-Claus balls up his fist, balls up his balls. He wouldn't hit a little girl, would he? I'm only nine years old. On the other hand, I don't think he's in the right mind. Felix and his stupid magician tricks. He's lying to you, mister, I yell. Most of the rest of the crowd have run off to call the fire department or try to put out the burning telephone pole. But a couple of people just stand there on either side watching me and this giant bear of a man start coming towards me, threatening me. Help, I yell to them. You don't want to help her? Felix addresses the other Sh people. She's a little thief. They shrug and turn away. I hate his stupid mind games. I step back. The big man continues towards me. 
Mr. Jensen, I tell him, I'm sorry, but you're about to break your ankle. I don't even have to snap my fingers or nothing. He just takes his next step and his leg goes all wonky. We can all hear the snap and his foot turns in the wrong direction and like the really wrong direction. And for such a big, tough looking man, he screeches like my Nana when he, when she thinks there's a mouse on the floor. Down he goes, tumbling over gut first, then rolling onto his back with his leg up and his foot hanging crooked off of it. Oh God, I did that. I'm so sorry. The two people who had turned away look back at Mr. Jensen, then at Felix, who should be, of course, helping him with what being an EMT and all, and Felix hoots and claps his hands. Fantastic! Oh my, you really are getting a hang of this, aren't you, my dear? Now I can go back to being mad. Felix is laughing at the poor man's pain. He's got Meredith. He's taunting me. I can feel it boiling over like when I left the kettle on the stove to heat some water and forgot to listen for the whistle, and all the water boiled off and then onto the bottom of the kettle melted into a lump of slag. My dad got so pissed when that happened. I wasn't allowed to heat water by myself anymore after that. I just wanted to make a cup of cocoa. I could actually use a cup of cocoa right now. Lily, hurry, Pascal says. The black smoke circling around my ankles churns like one of those tide pools you see at the ocean. It swells up, tumbles over itself, and slowly forms into my shadow. I turn and look at Duma, and he nods at me, and Felix's jaw drops. What is that? Is that another gift? Oh my, that's... that's one of them. Duma, of course. From the police officer back at the house. How did you... I see. Will you shut up? I yell at him, as if in response he immediately goes quiet. His mouth keeps moving, but nothing comes out of it. At first I think I lost my sense of hearing, except of course I can hear a fire truck siren in the distance and people still shouting, and Anti-Claws lying on the ground howling about his ankle and how he's going to get me. So it's not me. Felix has lost his ability to talk. It's perfect. Felix Clay, you have the right to remain silent, I tell him. And Duma steps forward and cracks his knuckles. Except he's made of smoke, so it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't even make a sound. Maybe he wasn't cracking his knuckles. Maybe he was just balling up his hands together for some reason. I don't know. I say he cracks his knuckles. For the first time since I've met him, Felix looks scared. He's clutching his throat as if he can squeeze the words out of himself like a tube of toothpaste. Roger once stuck a tube of toothpaste under my bedroom door and stomped on it from the other side so it swirled all over my room, and he said it made the whole room smell minty. And while it was true, he got in a lot of trouble for it because he wasted the toothpaste. And Dada had to scrub the toothpaste out of the carpet. My room smelled like toothpaste for months. In a panic, Felix reaches into his pockets. I think for a moment that he secretly had a knife or a gun on him this whole time, in case of emergency. Wouldn't that just be like him, the weasel? I'm winning and he chooses to shoot me. I don't think so. He pulls something out and throws it at me. It's small and I don't really see it, but I cover my face and just happen to catch it in my hand. It's his locket, with the photo of his son in it. I look back up and Felix has vanished. Duma is standing there alone in his shadow me form, looking back at what I'm holding. Pascal is shouting something, but it sounds like he's shouting from out the door down the hall in the bathroom, like my dad does when he showers and someone flushes the toilet downstairs. I don't know what he's saying. Nathaniel is yelling too. Why do they all have to yell? I need to focus. Duma and I were just about to tear Felix apart. Someone puts their hand on my shoulder from behind. Did Felix get behind me, somehow? I feel my fists burning, and I turn, ready to punch him with them. But it's not Felix. It's a man dressed all in white. 
He's got a fancy jacket and tie and pants and even his shoes are white. His teeth are really white and he's smiling down at me. His hair is all neat and combed like Rogers was at his funeral. Nobody could really recognize him. Even the man's hair is white, although he doesn't look old or anything. Who are you? I ask, holding my red-hot hands up to somehow show I mean business. I wonder if I would leave black scorch marks on his fancy suit. I'm Raziel, he says. His voice is really soft and gentle, almost like a whisper, except not. Like when you tell someone to whisper, but they don't know how, so they just talk like they're trying to coax a cat out of a tree. I look down at the locket in my hands. Raziel was Felix's angel. This locket is Raziel's totem. Why would Felix give me his one means of defending himself? Maybe without it, I can't track him. Maybe he realized that he had no hope of fighting me with three angels helping, so he ditched his and ran scurrying like a weasel into some cave to hide. After all, the totems are like tracking devices, Pascal said. Speaking of Pascal, he's gone quiet. They all have. I look up and we're not even standing in the parking lot of the Red Moon Hotel. We're standing in some sort of white room. How did I get here? Where am I? Thank you. Am I imagining this? I was going to say, am I imagining? And I was like, what? And I was like, oh. Is this one of my visions? It doesn't feel like it. It feels real, but Pascal and Nathaniel are silent, and my shadow Duma is missing. Or maybe he's there. It's just that everything is so bright that I can't really see him. I don't know. You have lots of questions. I know. I don't. I just need to get back to where I was and stop your owner from getting away. Can we talk later? I got priorities. You don't need to worry about him. He's not going anywhere. Nobody is. Time isn't flowing as it normally does while we talk. So if I go back to the hotel right now, everybody will be frozen in time? No, we are outside of time. So if I go back, he holds his hands up to my face. You can't go back. Not right now. Once you do, things will be like you left them. Unless you don't want them to be. What do you mean? I can change things? He smiles at me. He must brush his teeth like all the time. Like all the time. He's got really nice teeth is what I'm saying. I don't normally notice people's teeth, but his are intensely white. If you want to change things, we can change things. Is that what you want, Lily? Kinda. Kinda. Of course, I would change things. Let's see. First, I would go back and not get into a car with Felix so I don't make him crash and put my father in a medically induced coma. I also wouldn't cause Officer Flowers' death by being at Meredith's house, I think. Maybe she'd still die. Or maybe Meredith and Felix would be off together killing normal people. Okay, so maybe I still needed to get into the car. Unless I could call my dad and warn him not to let Felix into the house. Or just not meet Meredith at all. Dang, so many options. Lily... Hello. Raziel calls my name in a sing-songy fashion. Earth to Lily. Sorry, I was thinking. I know, but I also know what you really want to change. What's that? He claps his hands once. It's really loud and seems to echo, even though the white room is so white that I can't tell where it begins or ends. It sounds like he clapped in an auditorium. My name is Lily Badwhip, and I see things before they happen. Don't stare at me, ass face. That's my brother, Roger. He doesn't like seeing things before they happen. I know this because 
Wait a second. No, this isn't right. Roger is dead. I'm staring at him. It's true. But I wasn't just a moment ago. I was with someone else. A man in white with white hair and white shoes in a white room. What was his name? Raisin? Raisin. Or something. Roger's not dead. I'm back in the car with him and mom and dad and Raisin. No, Raziel. Raziel said I could change things. This is what I need to change. I need to stop Roger from dying. I need to stop my dad from getting us T-boned by a truck. But how do I do that? Do I simply not do anything? Because warning Roger kind of is what got him killed, isn't it? I killed him. Me. But I can change things now. Rest area coming up! Dad says. Does anybody need to go? I do, but should I tell him? Roger will tell him I need to anyway. I need to pee. Me too, Roger declares. I guess he really did need to go. Just don't tell him that he's going to die, that's all. Speaking of that, I haven't heard anything from Pascal. I look down at him, buckled up with me, but he's silent. Then I realize that I've got a melted Barbie sitting beside me. Nathaniel, how did you get here? He says nothing. I'm also clenching something in my hand. It's Felix's locket. Roger sees me looking at it. What's that, your Happy Meal toy? He asks. We're pulling off the highway. There's two lanes of an off-ramp. One for the big trucks and one for little cars. Our station wagon takes the second lane and wraps back around to go up a hill to the parking lot for the rest area. There's some sort of big rock on a pedestal with a commemorative plaque at the base with lots of names and people who are dead. Other families are going in and coming out of the glass-wrapped building. Raziel? I whisper to the locket. What? What did you call me, twerp? Roger frowns. Don't trust him. I hear a voice. What? Don't trust who? I whisper. Roger? Roger looks over at me. I keep my head down to avoid staring. Everybody out! Dad declares. Lily, hurry! Mom looks back at me and smiles. Her teeth are incredibly white. I don't remember her having such a flashy smile. She unbuckles her seatbelt and opens her door. We all get out. Mom holds my hand as we cross the parking lot, even though I'm not a baby. Is this really happening? Can I really save Roger from dying simply by not telling him about it? I realize that despite not... Despite knowing he's going to die, I didn't actually have a sense of time. Have I changed things simply by going back? Have I gone back? Was all that stuff I experienced the past three months just the longest vision I ever had? Is that possible? But then what about Nathaniel and Raziel's totem still being with me? I look down and I don't see Duma's ghost badge pinned to my chest, so there's that. I can fix everything. The quiet voice comes in again just as I get inside to swinging glass doors. You're being lied to. I don't know what it means. Roger must not be saved. Why is that? I just don't tell him that he's going to die and it won't lead to him doing something that gets my dad's attention and distracts him from, during a crucial moment. Easy peasy. Who is that talking? It can't be Pascal or Nathaniel. I left them out of the car. It's certainly not Duma because it doesn't sound the least bit snobby. I don't even know where Duma is. I look at the locket again. There's a clasp on the inside and it opens. So I do. And there's Joey, Felix's son. He looked happy the one time Felix showed the locket to me, but he has since changed. 
His expression is like the photographer was covered in spiders or something. Joey looks terrified. I sit down in a different stall from the last time I went through this, and I hope that doesn't matter this timeline. Minutes later, we're all piling back into the car, and I buckle in and look at Pascal. Why aren't you talking to me? He doesn't respond. Something's not right. None of this feels right. But I can save Roger. I can fix things. I can make my dad smile again. Make him stop writing dirges. We'll be a whole family again. I want that so much. You must follow things as they were. Suddenly, Pascal is snatched from my arms, and I'm not surprised. I'm just sad. I turn to see Roger dangling Pascal out the window. Hey, assface, want to see if your dolly can fly? I sigh. I'm sorry, Roger. You're going to die. I tell him and wipe away a tear. I don't scream when he glares at me and then drops Pascal out the window. I don't really care about losing the doll because I know he'll find his way back to me. It's being forced to relive this moment that hurts the most. Now I understand what Pascal meant when he said that things were worse than death. I'm back in the white room. The man in white stares at me. I wet my eyes and clutch Pascal tightly to my chest. I can't look him in the eyes. Why didn't you save Roger? He asks. All you had to do was be quiet. I sniff. My nose feels runny. I always get that way when I cry. It's like my eyes and nose are connected. I wonder if you have tear ducts in your nose. Maybe some people only cry through their noses. Maybe a runny nose is just someone crying who can't express themselves right. You're not Raziel, I say, looking at the ground. It's white, too. Everything's so white it hurts my eyes. Huh? He says calmly. You are a smart little girl. No, I'm not Raziel. You know who I am. The man in white puts his hands on his hips and starts walking in a circle around me, and I cringe every time he goes behind me because I'm sure he's going to stab me in the back, or maybe just even touch me. I don't want him... I, I, don't, I don't want to feel him touch me. Show me where the angel touched you. <laughs> no, please don't. There I was, minding my own business, and it's a hell of a business, let me tell you. Just doing my own thing, and what should happen but someone really screws the pooch. You know what I'm talking about? Dogs having sex? No! He clenches his fist and grits his teeth. He looks the opposite of nice. His mouth is full of sharp-looking fangs now. His eyes look red. His clothes look like they're covered in ashes. I'm talking about my stupid, foolish brothers. We all have stupid brothers, don't we, Lily? I don't think Meredith has a brother. I don't say this, though, because he seems really angry. Well, mine, for some godforsaken reason, gave a little pyromaniac a box of matches. And then they gave gasoline to another one. And then they said, go play. Do you understand how stupid you are, brothers? I knew a kid once who burned down a tent with himself inside it just to kill a spider. Yes, exactly. He laughs and reaches towards me, but I pull away. They're trying to burn one little spider and willing to risk themselves and the whole tent just to do it. <laughs> yes, I see why they chose you. My ribs start to hurt. I haven't taken any medicine for them in a couple of hours. I need to go, I tell the man in white. He turns and looks me up and down. You can't go without paying the toll. What's the toll? It's a cost you pay to travel certain areas. No, I know what a toll is, but what do you expect me to pay? I already know the answer. 
I know what he wants. I just want to hear him say it. He grins at me with his shark teeth. And I bet Felix would pee his pants if he saw this man's teeth. No, not a man. He's Sammy the Rogue Angel. I want one of your four little trinkets. You can either choose or let me choose. I don't care. But you're already an angel, so why do you want one of these? Samuel throws his head back and laughs. It kind of looks like he's trying to swallow the entire room, and I bet he could do it, too. He finally stops laughing and looks back down at me. I'm not going to use it for myself. What could I possibly do with it that I can't already? No, I'm going to give it to someone else. That's all my brothers would do, too. When it's time, they pass their little toys onto another human being that they consider worthy, and it begins anew. He moves in close and fast, startling me, and I almost drop everything in my arms. He's right in my face, and I can see deep into his eyes. You can't really see in people's eyes, but I can see in his, and I can't even begin to describe it. I want to give it to someone I think is worthy. I can't give him Nathaniel. Or Duma, they're too dangerous. I won't give him Pascal, I need to protect myself. There's only one reasonable option, so I hold out Felix's locket cautiously like I'm afraid I'm going to have my entire hand bit off by a shark with mouth and leave me with just a bloody stump. Samuel looks at it with curiosity and then reaches out with his fingers that now look long and pointy like needles. He plucks the locket out of my hand. Ooh, this one again, he says. Ah, Brother Raziel, how tired of our little game you must be getting. He smiles one more evil shark-toothed smile at me. I'll see you again, little one. And suddenly I'm standing in the parking lot of the Red Moon Hotel again. There's a large man lying on the ground screaming, clutching his leg, a fire truck is pulling up, and firefighters are piling out and setting up a hose for a telephone pole that's burning to the ground. An otherwise empty ambulance is parked in front of Meredith's motel room and some people are scurrying over to see what's going on. Felix is nowhere to be seen. Again. I walk over to the ambulance. Meredith is lying on the floor inside. I can see that she's breathing, but she seems to be asleep. I hope she's not in a coma like my father. I take Nathaniel and put him in her arms. She instinctively hugs him and mumbles something about puppies. Yeah, puppies. A woman in a maid outfit comes over. I guess she was cleaning the rooms or going to a costume party. She looks in the ambulance at Meredith, then looks around for the EMT. She's not going to find him. Are you okay, sweetie? She asks me. What's your name? My name is Lily Madwhip. <laughs> My name is Lily Madwhip, and this, this is, is an, an epilogue. epilogue. My name is Simone Werner, says the orange-haired girl sitting behind, beside me. She pulls out a binder with a picture of a cat on it. The poor cat is hanging from a tree. <laughs> hang in there. <laughs> and is just being told to hang in there. Someone should just get the kitten down from the tree. The branch does not look safe. Pascal is sitting on my desk. This is Pascal, I say. I make Pascal salute. He says hello, but she can't see him. Or she can't... He says hello, but she can't hear him. Hello, Pascal, says Simone. Simone is a new student in Miss Carter Dogbill's class. She transferred here from Ohio. Her father works as a law clerk, and her mother is an accountant. 
I know this because Pascal told me while Miss Carter Dogbill was having Simone introduce herself to the rest of the class. The rest of the class only learned about Ohio and that Simone likes geography and chocolate chip bagels. Louis Brodley turns around in his chair. He smiles at Simone. Louis Brody, Brody, Brodley, Brody, almost never smiles. It's un, it looks unnatural, as if someone drew lips on a church gargoyle. The last girl who sat where you were was weird. She used to play with fireworks and blew up another girl's backpack, and her face was all messed up. In what way? Simone asked. Yeah, Louis, in what way? I stared at him. She just looked... He stuttered something and then turns around. Her name was Meredith, and her face wasn't messed up. She had scars from being burned in a fire, but she was one of the nicest people, I tell Simone. Scars don't make people ugly, just unique. She says, oh, I like her. Not like Lewis obviously likes her, but I really hope that she doesn't start hanging out with Lisa Welch and her crew of jerk girls. They'll probably try to get her claws in her because she's got a pretty face and a cool backpack. They might reject her though because of her crazy orange hair. It sticks out all over the place like it's trying to escape. Are you allowed to have your doll out like that? She asked me. Yeah, it helps me with my anxiety. It's in my 405, 504. That's not true. I don't even know what a 504 is. I just know that when I got Pascal out in the beginning of the year, Miss Carter Dogbell asked me if having him was in my 504 to help with anxiety. I said yes. <laughs> so now that's what I say when anybody ever asks. At lunch, I sit by myself. Mom packed me a salad with little tomatoes, chopped celery, and cucumber slices. She forgot the lettuce. So it's just that stuff. And a piece of bread. My thermos is empty. It's the third day in a row that my thermos had been empty. I told her after the second time that I wanted to pack my own lunch. She said, no, I can pack your lunch just as good as your father does. So now I'm thirsty and eating rabbit food. I wish Meredith was here with some Oreos. After the events at Red Moon Hotel, Meredith moved away with her foster parents. They didn't say goodbye, and I wasn't told where they were going. I tried to think of where would be a safer place for her. Maybe some place wet, like a water, underwater base in the middle of the ocean, or down in the Amazon rainforest. Maybe Alaska, or Iceland. Actually, I've read that Iceland is very green, and it's Greenland that's covered in ice. I don't, I don't understand why they don't just swap names. Three days after it all, my dad woke up from his coma. The hospital called my mom and she rushed us over to see him. When we got there, Officer Flowers' ghost was standing by his hotel bed. She didn't look quite so burned anymore. Just like some patchy bits on her face, like something teenagers get and buy cream to clear up. We didn't say anything to each other. Most because there was a nurse and my mom in the room, but also there was nothing to say. She reached out and plucked Duma's badge off my shirt like it was nothing. Then she shook her head, turned away, and took a step, and vanished like smoke. Poof. I can't tell you what a relief that was. Duma does not shut up. It's also weird wearing a police badge when you're taking a bath. Dad is home now, resting most of the time. They set up a bed in the den so he doesn't have to climb the stairs. He sees a physical therapist constantly and sometimes struggles with his words, but we're not allowed to finish his sentences for him. Pascal does it anyway, because none of them can hear him, and when Dad is better, I get to take drum lessons. Jamal got his bicycle back. He thinks he saved the day. I'm not going to argue with him. His help was important.
He's still determined to get my little plastic paratrooper out of the tree, but I told him that by now, the paratrooper had been climatized to his environment. That means he's basically living there and it would be wrong to take him from his home. What are you doing? I'm sitting on, who was that? That was Jamal? What are you doing? I'm sitting on the swings where Meredith and I always hung out. Simone sits behind me. I look around the playground. Lisa Welch is watching us from over by the Foursquare Court. She got a new red backpack that her daddy bought her. I wonder if it's fire resistant. I wish Meredith was here to test it, but I think she wouldn't want to hurt anyone anymore anyway. Not even Lisa Welch. I was just thinking. Simone keeps watching me, so I blink a bit and swing, like acting like I'm normal. Is it true that you can see the future? She asked. Sort of. She stands up on her swing. Am I going to get hurt if I do this? No. That girl over there with the blonde hair and funny teeth says you're a witch. Simone points at Lisa, who is still watching us. Lisa turns away when she sees Simone point at her. Her crew of jerk girls flock around her as if they're protecting her from our evil stares. I can't help but laugh because she thinks Lisa's teeth are funny and I know if Lisa heard her say that, her head would explode. I shrug. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't listen to Lisa Welch. She's as dumb as they come. Dumber, maybe. Simone sits back down on the swing. Have you ever read Greek mythology? Those are my favorite. I like the one about Medusa. She was a pretty woman who got cursed to turn people into stone. Her hair was made out of snakes. Not just the heads, but the whole snake, except for the tails. I guess there's no telling where a snake's head really ends. Snakes are all necks. I think about hopping off the swing, but there's a grasshopper on the ground. I better not jump off the swing or I might crush it. Grasshoppers are cute. I used to catch them just to hold them and feel their hop around in my hands. Simone jumped off her swing and lands on the grasshopper. I don't think she saw it. Poor grasshopper. Have you ever read about Cassandra? She asks. She could see the future too. I watch to see if the grasshopper is going to come wiggling out on its own underneath her sneaker like in a cartoon. It doesn't. As if she knows what I'm thinking, Simone swivels around on her heel to look at me, really grinding the grasshopper into the dirt. You're like Cassandra, she says. Cassandra Madrid. Mad Whip? I, cons I correct her. Except nobody ever believed Cassandra. At least Jamal believes me. And Meredith believed me. I'm sure if I told him something, Felix would believe me. But the only thing I want to tell Felix is to go burn in hell. And that was exactly what I was going to say to him that day at the Red Moon Hotel. Felix Clay, you are going to burn in hell. Well, I believe you can see the future. She smiles at me. Her teeth are not funny like Lisa Welch's. Her teeth are nice. Maybe once my folks have gone, all our stuff unpacked at home, you can come over sometime. I've got two older brothers, but they're cool. Okay. I wonder if her brothers play the drums. Simone nods and then turns on the heels again and walks off towards the monkey bars. I'm pretty sure that grasshopper is toast. I think she even took it with her. She didn't seem to be messing with me. So I guess she's generally keen on being friends. It'd be nice to get out of the house since my dad is always there and he gets grumpy when we can't pick when he can't pick stuff up or we can't understand him when he tries to talk. After school, I ride the bus home. Mom is sitting with dad filling out forms on his bed. They give me big hugs and kisses then tell me to go do my homework and let them be for a moment. 
I go up to my room and get my homework done, then sit with some watercolor paints and decide to paint a picture of Meredith burning Felix alive in an ambulance. Pascal sits on, sits with his watercolors and paints nothing, because he never actually paints. He just likes to know he can if he wants to. I ask him, what's going to happen now? Meredith is gone, possibly to Iceland. Felix doesn't have Raziel anymore, and I disappear and has disappeared to who knows where. Officer Flowers has moved on, and I assume Duma has been passed on to a new creepy person who I hope I never meet. Are we done? For now. He says, darn cryptic angel, do I have to worry about Samuel? Yes. He tells me. You will always have to worry about Samuel, especially now that he knows you. What did you do with Raziel? I ask. I don't know. I feel bad. I handed Raziel over to his scary brother. I never really knew or, or understood him, but I hope he's okay. Every day since that day, I feel like I'm being watched. I look out the window on the bus while Greg annoys me and Jamal smacks in the back of the head and... Oh, and Jamal smacks him in the back of the head and I see a man in a white suit standing on the <laughs> side of the road. It's Samuel. He just watches the bus go by and waves his hand. His fingers are long and pointy and he needs to watch them. There's all sorts of grit and dirt or something on the hands. He grins at me and his mouth is full of pointy teeth, multiple rows of them. Like shark. It looks like he could flip the top of his head back and have nothing but teeth showing. But then I blink, and he's not there. A couple of times I've looked out my bedroom window, and he's been standing in the woods where all the animals died. He's got half a squirrel in his mouth, and he's chomping on it like bubblegum. A second later, the woods are empty. No animals wander through our backyard anymore. They probably have hazard signs or something. I don't know what animals do to warn each other that this area might be detrimental to their health. They probably pee on stuff. That's animals' answers to everything. The worst one was one night after my parents were both asleep. The moon was full and it was shining in my window, making everything blue. My bedroom closet always shut tight because there's tons of old clothes on there from way back when I was five piled up inside. And if you don't shut the door until it clicks, that stuff can fall over and spill out. Anyway, the room was dark, and for some reason, I couldn't sleep. Pascal was telling me to just close my eyes and think about turtles or something nice. Sometimes he starts drowning on about stuff that doesn't matter because he knows the sound of his voice will put me to sleep. But instead, I opened my eyes. When I did, I swear I saw the closet door knob turn and click, and the door opened silently. There weren't any piles of clothes inside, and it was pitch black. But I could clearly see Samuel standing there in my closet in his white suit with his white hair. He just smiled and stared at me until I closed my eyes and pulled my head under the covers. I peeked out and the door was shut like it always had been. I can't tell if I'm imagining these things or if Samuel is just messing with my head. Pascal really can't say either. Though he understands that I'm seeing it, he doesn't know when it comes to Samuel just what exactly he's capable of. Can he drive a little girl like me insane? Maybe, is all I get for an answer. What I do now, what I do know is that he's always going to be there on the side of the road, in the woods out back, in my closet. Even if he's not really there, he knows of me. He knows me. Maybe I am just imagining him. But Pascal has said the danger is real. And from now on, I should always be prepared for him. 
so I'll train. I don't know how I can use what I've got to my advantage, but Officer Flowers called me the knife that cut the vein, so I guess that means something. I beat a crazy magician, survived two car crashes, escaped a burning house, and held four totems at once, and came out the other side with just a couple broken ribs and a whole lot of material for my next therapist to write a book with. I'll be ready. Yeah. Well, I want to read that. <laughs> so to the listeners, at the end, there's a link. I had, I had made a post saying that if we enjoyed this, it looks like the series continues. And, and she, she might be older. Okay, I'm there's seeing, a few of them. I'm seeing a lot more material, so this might not Hell be yeah. the, this might not be the end of Lillian Madwip's uh, story. Oh no! Ooh, there's a whole subreddit. in it. Is it all by the same person? I would assume so. The other series also concluded. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, that's a lot. Whoa! It seems so. We're probably like halfway in the entire Lillian Madwip story if we finished it. 12 yeah. and 13. Anyway, that looks like a lot of material. Yeah, because it was 12 <laughs> plus the epilogue and was, then it was like, like 12.5. Yeah. Yeah, so we're there's another half out there somewhere. I'm, I'm fucking about, in. About, about Lily Madwip possibly growing up. Well, that sort of like, because obviously you said you wanted her to die because you didn't <laughs> want to like not know I what happened her, next. I wanted her to die because it just seems like... A climax. Or a... Well, a not I even was, climax. I was going more was demons with it, which yeah. which well angels and demons are angels and demons can be you know, of the same coin yeah. when you really think about it. So that's that's not it's not like we were wrong, but I'm just saying, when it comes to them like collecting their you know comeuppance, mm -hmm. it's like your soul, you know, yeah. like like when 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 she collected that that fourth one, Raziel, and 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 immediately snapped over to the Samuel. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, universe, let's say the dimension of Samael. Um, I was like, oh, she's done, she's done. That's what I thought too. I the was demons like, oh, she's have dead. now the demons right have here. now found her. Yep. No one person is supposed to have this many angels. Like Amen. this is gonna end. And he was just like, give me one, and fucked off. And I yeah. was like, that's kind of. Well, I mean. Who knows his reason behind things? You know the whole. Yeah. You keep your secrets. Like I'll let I'll let him I'll let yes. him do that because I'm sure to the point of the author, she probably sat down or he probably sat down and mapped out all this shit and there's there's probably a reason you know yeah. behind the madness. It's but a, for it's me, a clear halfway point. But for me, like the finality of it would have been like, no kid can handle this much power. Yeah. Unfortunately, like I her just body just collapsed. Myself. Yeah. And and, and, you know, who knows if the sequel series could have just been about Meredith, you know, living on with with the trauma of mm -hmm. having to hide, you know, how she is or who she is and shit like that. But am I am I disappointed to see that she's alive? No. Yeah, I, I really you know, enjoyed I, this. I when I when I must have been collecting this, I was really just looking for I think the epilogue is what made me say, OK, this is the end of this story. Yeah. You know, I got to chapter 13 and it said epilogue and I said, okay, 
But then I looked up the rest of this person's shit, and I obviously saw that there was a sequel series. So, you know, this isn't the first time we've read something and then found out there was, like, a hidden sequel that I never even thought of. Mm -hmm. So, at one point, I had the wherewithal to at least say, here it is in case we like this and want to come back to it later. And I will say, somewhere between 250 to 300, we'll read that other half. It looks like it'll be another four episodes. Yeah. We'll get through it. I have no problem. If it's more than that, we'll get through it. Yeah, it might be the longest series we ever read on the show. Whatever. Sure. But Lillian is a, is a likable kid. Oh, yeah. You know, she she's funny. She's brave. You know, she's chaotic. It, she's chaotic. She has all of these, like, these things that make a fun kid. Mm-hmm. So there was no point where I was reading this where I was like, this is dumb. A kid wouldn't do this. Like, no. This is, this is one of the best kind of stream of consciousness attempts at, at writing for how a kid thinks that I've probably ever seen. Yeah, and I, I hope that my pace throughout all of it didn't make it difficult for the listener. No, we were but both I, I, reading the yeah, same way. Yeah, I think way. it that's, added. That's how, it, that's how it's written. Like yeah. People, you people can, need you to understand that, that the reason yep. she's asking things and the reason she's saying things the way she is is because she is an anxious, addle-brained child. You know, like... She's aware of all of this shit, and she needs to get it out. So it's almost like this Reddit is just her mind. Like, it's just her head trying to comprehend all of this shit that's happening to her. Now, my question is, and mostly because I don't remember, did she mention the anxiety before that, like, epilogue? No, 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 no. I I just assume that that's... um, after all of her hospital shit was considered and after all oh, the trauma was yeah, considered that's probably like... and after Meredith left, yeah, I'm but... sure I'm sure her teacher was just like, Oh, you have like a condition now? You're con you have a condition? That makes sense, you know, like someone just yeah. assuming that someone has autism. Yeah. You know, like she knows the kid isn't gonna have an answer for this. But she was always going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, maybe she'd she been going to therapy. Plenty maybe before I forgot this. it yeah. too. It's not. Yeah. It's not super important to the character that is Lily Madwip. It's. It's really not. Her. Her anxiety has never reached like a clinical fashion <laughs> where she kind of just stops everything she's doing and shuts well, down. Her anxiety is that she sees death. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Her. Her anxiety is the voyeur lifestyle of watching and being absolutely powerless to change things. Mm-hmm. I think you know it's it's the everyday person anxiety. It's the it's the mortality anxiety. It's 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 existentialism at its best. I and and I think um the only thing I think I would say about this series is that I don't think this belongs on no sleep. It's just not quite yeah. was demons or even spooky enough for me to be like, well, well, now I'm just starting to assume that people just use no sleep as like a, yeah, like, I'm going to write here's... fiction. Yep. Whereas I, I, whereas sleep, I, so always, I wrote this. That, not, that's, you're not going to be able to sleep when you're reading it. That's a weird way to think it. about it, but I mean, yeah. you could say that. Because that's how I look at no sleep is you're not going to be able to sleep when you're done with this. You know, the author could look at it as, I couldn't sleep, so I just, I wrote. I got all this out. Yeah. yeah that's fair. I never, th- that that could be the double entendre mm-hmm. of, of no sleep. But I, I do that I, a lot. When I, when I was having, like, massive bouts of insomnia, because yeah. I would just type, and then all of a sudden I'd show up at work and be like, hey, 
you know, XYZ person. I, I only slept three hours last night. Here, read this four-page thing I wrote. <laughs> and they'd be like, dude, you're insane. Oh, and I'd be like, you already knew that. You and I have 100% been there before. Yeah. At, like, I remember, like, back in high school or back in college, I would be like, oh, the best time for me to write is at 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm mm. right on the brink of sleep and my mind is at its most creative because yep. I'm just, I'm, I've lost I'm all shit. Yeah. I've tapped into the the collective unconscious <laughs> and I just have weirdness in my mm-hmm. brain. <laughs> but yeah, that's where that's where some good art comes from. That's where some good writing comes from. I always I always believe that. I um I I I am interested to see where this goes, but I'm I'm glad that we finished this part. It it had a it had a finality to it that if we never come back to it I won't be I won't be heartbroken. But I do hope to see Lily Madwhip again one day. I agree. And, and see how she grows up. Because it seems like there's only one more series. And then maybe a companion series about her. Mm. From someone else's perspective. I really only want to just read Lily. If if they're, yeah. if this person has given enough to write an entire another. What would be four, our, four of our episodes of the podcast. Mm-hmm. About Lily. Then we'll then we'll top it off at eight. You know, I was gonna say even if it's somewhere between three and five, yeah, more. You know, like yeah, even doesn't if, necessarily yeah, have even to be the same a exact bit length, right? But yeah, it could be the same part size but different lengths. Yeah, sure. I didn't think about that, but that that could absolutely be a possibility. All I'm saying is, where am I? Where am I? Captain Death. I'm we, in your basement. We we both liked Lillian Madwhip. Lillian Madwhip gets. Uh, two two thumbs up from from yeah. from both of us. So um, I hope everyone else liked listening to it, because we're probably gonna revisit it at some point in yeah. the future. Um, not anytime soon. I gotta finish out to yeah, to, to, to two fifty. I have my plans already made up for the next couple episodes. Maybe end of this year, early next year, something like that. I'm not gonna put a number on it, but we'll be on it. That's fair. Yeah. Somewhere between two fifty and two seventy five. Sure. We'll, we'll get back in there. Sure. So we'll we'll see her again in like 20 to 30 episodes. But it'll be nice to see her at that point because then we'll have had taken a nice breath. We'll have seen a lot of different other material at that time and we'll be ready to hop back into it. Maybe with a new uh, a new perspective. Maybe yeah. it won't it won't be so heavily was demons. Well, it also might be we older be, too. We could be was angels. Yeah. It could be was puberty. Yeah. <laughs> could be was puberty. Could be was college. Because we constantly said... Uh, she she might be fucking crazy, mm-hmm. and she still might she be. She still might be. <laughs> she still might be. Could have been. Yeah. Don't you love that you can finish an entire series like this and be like, oh no, she's she's still very much fucking crazy. Yeah. Like she, it could it could all very well be. Oh yeah, by the way, this is the end of this entire twenty six part series, and I'm just fucking nuts. Yeah. Because I originally told you I thought this was. I thought this was like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was about a kid who had been like, uh, you know, whatever the number is, uh, sent to a facility by her parents against her will. Yeah. And was just milling about being crazy. And and if that's where this series goes, I'm totally on fucking mm-hmm. board for it. Well, and, and she even mentioned it is that it was right. this just Doctors. the longest vision I've ever had. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know where her limit is. The mind So who's to say that the limit hasn't 
been approached yet. Honestly, when it got to that part and the whole the whole butterfly effect thing started to happen, I was like, no, don't. Yeah, let, I was going to be a little sad if that end. was it. Yeah. Don't let this be the end. Like she chooses to kill herself to save her brother or something. Yeah, I would have been like, a little sad with that. I was like, don't do the butterfly effect thing. No, no one really likes that. I mean, I, I like it from a writing standpoint, but I, I think it would be a cop out to yeah. how, what the story was trying to tell. Um, cause her, her death wouldn't have been meaningful in that way. All of those things would have continued to go on. Felix probably would have killed Meredith. Felix would have been in possession of more totems. Flowers would have maybe hunt him down and taken care of it. I, I don't know. It's hard to say what would happen at that point. Cause it didn't seem like Felix had much power, but if he was able to get Nathaniel, he definitely could have. Yeah. And then that fight between Nathaniel and... Duma probably wouldn't have gone in Flowers's or Flores's way again. Yeah. So then this really the, the the negative universe of of all of the you know opportunities the multiverse um is probably Felix coming out on top and being just a bad motherfucker at the end of the day. Um so it's interesting to think about, but I don't want to get too wrapped up in it. Yeah, I was saying we, we could go forever. Well, I'm tired <laughs> and drunk. And I gotta drive a tra- trailer, but I'm not drunk enough to not drive the trailer. God damn it! Stop talking about drinking and driving. I'm not driving. <laughs> I'm sleeping here. Well, it's news to me. Buddy, better, better bundle up, Buttercup. Well, didn't you watch me change into my pajamas right before we started recording? All right, you have a point. Wait <laughs> till the days end. Land until we stand at the shore.